name's Cathy Caton and this week on The Sipping Forecast I'm talking to the award-winning beer sommelier, drinks writer, broadcaster and all-round general good egg Jane Payton. She's also the UK's first accredited pommelier, but I'll let Jane explain that one all in due course. We talked about all things mead, Covid inevitably, how much we miss the pub and what happens when you run a pub quiz. <laughs> My name's Jane Payton and I describe myself as a drinks educator. I founded a business called the School of Booze about 12 years ago and I educate people about alcoholic drinks. I'm a accredited beer sommelier. I was the UK's first cider sommelier accredited. I also have an accreditation from the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. So what I do is a combination of things. And people often say, well, do you educate people about the bad side of alcohol? And I go, no, it's about the good side of alcohol. And it's about appreciating alcohol. So, for instance, I write about alcohol, but I also advocate for it. And I do corporate events, teaching people about how wonderful beer, cider, wine, spirits, mead, all that, how it's made, how to taste it properly, how to get the most out of it. I also tell people about the fascinating history of alcohol because alcohol and specifically gin and beer particularly and rum actually have incredible histories that are part of human history and if you read the history of them you think oh my goodness so humans have always had alcohol basically and if they haven't had alcohol they've had fermented fruit falling off trees which they ate so right from the beginning humans were having a buzz out of uh, fermented sugars. How have you ended up doing what you do? What's the path that's led you to being, and I know you've got got lots of firsts to your name, including being UK's first you know, pommelier, which just wins in terms of name itself. But yeah, how have you ended up doing what you do? I've had several careers in my life and none of them were teaching, but in my heart, I've always been a teacher. And so when it came to a point in my life when I was a little older and I was getting to the point where, having always been a freelancer, by the way, so I'd worked in TV production, I'd worked in public relations, several different things. And I was getting to to the point where women of my age didn't get hired. A couple of reasons for that is because we have an opinion. When you're older, you're not scared to say those opinions. You're not scared to say no And in TV production particularly, you're expected to work really long hours, which I don't mind, by the way, I'm a really hard worker, but working really long, unreasonable hours for little pay. And I was getting to the point I didn't want to do that anymore because everything was for somebody else. I wanted to do something for me. So I thought I'd start my own business. And I made a Venn diagram. Venn diagrams are very useful. And I made a Venn diagram. And in those circles, I put different things. What am I good at? What do I like? How could I make money out of it? So I think you can see where this is going where in that what do I like? my life could have done with this probably about 20 years ago? You'd have saved me 20 years. Well, try it now and you can apply it to anything in your life, actually. You really can. And the middle thing where they all intersect is the thing that you should be doing or is the right answer. So in my circles, one of them was that I loved pubs, I loved beer, I loved socialising and what was I good at? I was good at educating and public speaking and socialising and bringing people together, managing people, but also producing. Now, I've been a producer in television, so production skills, I'm using those every day that I do an event for one of my clients. So all the skills that I've learned over my career, 
and also my personal skills went into this Venn diagram. And in the middle, the intersection was form a business where you educate, advocate and celebrate alcoholic drinks. So originally, I was going to call it the University of Booze. So I registered every permutation of those those words for domain names, spent quite a lot of money. Oh, I went to see a business advisor and she said to me, have you checked that you can use the word university? I think it's a protected word in this country. I went, no. She says, well, call the Privy Council Office at the Ministry of Justice, which I did. And they said, oh, how are you using the word university? Are you conferring degrees? Are you this? Are you that? So I went, no, I'm, I'm not. It'll just be certificates. They went, I'm really sorry, but you can't use the word university. In Britain, it's protected as a term. So you know that if you go to a university, it's accredited. You get a proper recognised degree and you graduate. So I went, oh, how about the word school? And they went, oh, yeah, no problem with that. So I became the school of booze, which I think is funnier, actually, because there are fewer syllables and also school of rock. Given what you do for a living, how the heck is all of this going at the moment? And what is lockdown life like for you? Is there such a thing as a new normal yet? It's odd in a way because I have two sides to my job. One of them is the writing, which is very solitary. And I have been writing recently because I also write books about alcohol. I've written two books in the last six months, one about beer history, one about gin history. So I've been doing a lot of writing, checking proofs. Nothing has changed for me in this new normal, because that is my life when I'm writing, isolated, not going out one exercise a day. The other side of my business is doing the sociable things, the training brands on beer and cider knowledge, for instance, corporate events, that's all gone completely. In fact, as before we were locked down, as things started to look as though we were going to be hit heavily with COVID-19, booked events and clients were emailing me day after day saying, really sorry, we're going to have to cancel this and that. And I was very sanguine about it, as I have been throughout the whole thing. But all my income, you know, started disappearing, as it has done for so many people. I'm not the only one for sure. So yes, it's been difficult in that way. But I'm I'm zen. I've always been zen about income, you know, being self-employed, you, you are. So I've just continued to be cool and calm about about that, because it'll all work out. And if it doesn't, then I'll come and live in the Brighton Gin Distillery and sleep on the floor. You are so very, very welcome. I think it would be we could have oh, so having your your resident hermit, isn't it? Luck to have a have a resident school of booze expert lurking in your distillery. It'd be fantastic. In the Brighton Gin Hermitage. hermitage, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You've touched on, and obviously, by the way, you're speaking as such a a social person. Um, How are you finding the just not being able to go to the pub? You know, it's one of life's great joys is going to the pub and chatting to people. How are you finding the lack of that? Not being able to go to the pub is the worst thing for me, actually, and seeing friends and just being sociable. I mean, I adore the pub. Right from being a child, I was very fortunate to be from a family who went to the pub. So right from being a a young child, we were in the pub with family, enjoying pub as it should be with the family, with your friends, having a jollification. So going to the pub is what I really miss more than anything. Today on the radio, they were talking about where are people going to go on holiday? What's the first thing they're going to do when the lockdown ends? And in my head, it was like, go to the pub, of course. And I know I'm not the only person on social media so many people are missing the pub and just dreaming about it, as I have been. 
And I've been walking past closed pubs and just peering through the windows and making myself feel really sad. But just trying to imagine what they would look like and feel like and sound like if they were full of people. All the people outside having a fag, drinking the beer. That noise that is unmistakably people in a pub enjoying themselves. What I'm really glad about is that the last time that I was in a pub was with Emma Inch and some other friends. And we'd seen you that day as well for International Women's Day. I'd already started self-isolating, by the way, before then. So the last time I went out to the pub was such a great night. We saw loads of people we knew. It was very moi-moi. It was wavy-wavy. It was people, what are you doing here? It was so sociable. It was almost, in fact, actually, it was the perfect pub experience. The beer was fantastic. And we just had a wonderful time. That was my last memory of the pub. And I think if I never went to the pub again, I shall always have Paris. I'll always have Brighton Beer House. (laughs) I'm so fascinated by the role of the public house in, in British culture and how vital it is one of my theories is that well i live in a tiny flat and i think lots of people live in very very small places in which it's you can't particularly be be social and that but that thing of going to a room with a collective interest and people you never know who you're going to collide with it's just uh, it's such a fundamental bit of british culture i find it very odd for it not to be there i think it brings out the best in us so the best selves we can be are often in the pub i think because humans are sociable and we go into the pub and our behaviour changes because it's the rule, it's the etiquette. Without being told what to do, you just learn this behaviour in pubs. And one of them is to be sociable, it's to be friendly, it's to be smiley and it's to contribute to that wonderful atmosphere. And you're right, it is absolutely who we are as Britons. I mean, I in part of my work that I do, I run historic pub tours and beer tasting for rich Americans and other rich people can come as well but the private tours and it's usually Americans who who take the tour and it's not just a oh here's the so-and-so there's the so-and-so it's not that it's knowing somebody for three hours of that pub tour and becoming immediate friends with them and they love the pub so much they are so envious of the British pub system and our, our traditions of pubs and they look at us And they see all those people standing outside. You know, it's a sunny night and people are outside having a beer. A hundred people standing there. No trouble, just people socialising, having a ciggy, nattering, flirting, eyeing people up. Everything goes on. And those Americans can't believe that that goes on because they don't have anything because they're not allowed to drink outside. So they don't have that and they just adore it. We really need to appreciate our pub smogs. We do take them for granted, for sure. And I think also what we need to do, and I'm saying we in the communal we, not us, obviously, because we love our pubs, but society in general and the companies who own pubs but don't love pubs, they own them because the property is valuable and they don't love pubs. They're just there because they love money. And it could be anything in that pub. They could be selling bric-a-brac or, you know, sausages. doesn't matter that it's a pub. It's the property that is valuable to them. That needs to change because we've discovered through this lockdown, three really important state institutions are the ones that have been most precious to us. The NHS, the BBC and the pub. And we need to protect our pubs and make sure that they don't close at the rate they have been doing that publicans can still 
provide this wonderful public service. I might start crying in a minute. I, I, I have to say, I'm getting quite lumpy of, of throat and possibly something in my eye. I mean, one of my, it will sound like a very modest ambition, but one of my youthful ambitions was that I wanted to be a local in a in a pub. And when I moved to the bit of Brighton that I'm in now, so I live uh, right in the cent- centre town, I'm just up from the bandstand and I have become a local in a pub and it fills my heart with joy because everything, I just... They've looked after me when I've been in some fairly, you know, miserable states and joyful states. I love that you can go in, you know, by yourself and never know what adventure you're going to find. They've taken in bits of post for me because the people haven't known where to send them. And it's just like, what an amazing asset. And just that thing of going, actually, I really love, I'm part of a community, a solid, solid community. And... um uh, yes, it's. I, I keep. I walk past it every day just to make sure it's okay. Have you decided which pub you go to first? Well, I'm organising a pub crawl, and the people who were there with us that last night at Brighton Beer House, Emma, Kate, Kelvis. His name's Kevin. Actually, he's a Frenchman, and he's rockabilly. He's a rockabilly performer, and he looks a little bit like um, the guy Wolverine from the X Men. Emma Melita was there. I was there. I'm already planning our pub crawl. So we'll start at the Hand in Hand, which is my local, up on St. James's Street. Love that place. We'll meander down, may pop into the cloakroom, obviously go to the uh, Brighton Beer House next, and then possibly drop into buy some beer down on North Road, up to the Prince Albert, Evening Star, up over to Montpellier to the Brighton Beer Dispensary. Is that your local, by the way? It's, I love the dispensary. So, for, so for me, it's between the um, the dispensary uh, and the Bedford Tavern. So um, go to uh, the dispensary for its amazing, amazing beers. And also they have Augustina. I go out with the Berliner. So they're very, very um, precious, rightly precious about their beer. And it's the one place in town that has Augustina. And then the uh, the Bedford Tavern, which is down by Embassy Court, down on the on the seafront, is just this fantastic community hub where I've lost many, many a Sunday to their piano bingo. Let's have, let's have a natter about your the the writing side of side of things. Tell me about cause it, for two books in six months seems pretty blooming prolific. Is that a usual rate? I think every book I've written. I think this is about my how many have I done now? I think I've done nine or ten books now. Every single one the publisher has given me three months. Now some have been longer. These two that I've done in the past six months are only 15,000 words but that is really tricky because it's a length I've never written to to before so my other books have been 50,000 or, or more words all not all about alcohol by the way so yeah three three months seems seems to be the thing I found it really difficult doing my beer book which is really odd because I've already written a beer book and beer is the subject that I know more about than anything And that was the trickiest book I've ever written, actually. And I think one thing about this format, I'm writing to a format, by the way. So the British Library contacted me and said, hello, would you like to write a book about gin? So I went, yes, please. So I was writing to their format, which is 15,000 words, eight chapters, the history of a certain subject in a very accessible way, £10 gift books, people who buy them, don't know an awful lot about the subject. So you're writing to a general audience, not experts, and you're educating them, which is lovely for me because I always want to do that. So the gin book 
was fine in terms of the length. That was fine. What is tricky with 15,000 words is that you have to write about a very dense subject in very few words, but not make it look superficial. It has to be dense in knowledge. You can't waste any words at all. So you need to put lots and lots of dense knowledge in there, but make it really readable and light and have a nice rhythm to it and a nice arc. And it's actually going somewhere this book is. It was a real challenge, but it's made me a better writer for sure. So in terms of challenging myself, it was some really pleased with the gin book, which I've actually got here and you've seen a copy of it because it's the colour. <laughs> I didn't choose the colour, by the way, but they've chosen the colour of aquamarine, which is the colour of Brighton Gin. Brilliant. Well done. So, yes, but I did struggle a bit with the beer book, only because there's so much to say. And I was really conscious of not repeating what I'd said in my previous beer book. So I had to constantly go back to my previous book, Beer O'Clock, and go, did I write anything about this? And lo and behold, I did. So, you know, I had to be very conscious of that. So that slowed me down a lot. I could probably have done them quicker, actually, but um, just making sure that you're covering the entire subject and you haven't missed anything and then trying to bring it into a much narrower focus in a way. Sounds really pretentious, that, doesn't it? When I hear people on the radio talking about, oh, yes, my art, my craft, sometimes they sound really pretentious. So I think I just did. Sorry. And I think, I mean, I know much more about gin than I do about beer but I think that that job as well of condensing I think particularly kind of from a British perspective gin and our history is so massively interwoven and this is not just on an individual front it's on a geopolitical front so how you go about kind of condensing that and still then also talking about flavours and production all sorts of things basically I can't wait to get my mitts on it and scrutinise your work. I think you might be surprised at some of the things about the history of gin but maybe you know them already but I was really surprised in some of the, the research that I did and one of the things that most surprised me was that there was a religious element to gin And gin came into Britain, although it wasn't known as Britain then. So 1688, the revolution that brought William of Orange as King William III, wasn't he? He took the throne, William and Mary. He was from the Netherlands and their national drink was Geneva, which is Geneva, it looks like in English, which is the word where the word gin comes from. He was a Protestant at a time when Catholicism and Protestantism were still very much against each other's throats. His enemy, his nemesis, was Louis XIV, who was the all-powerful, all-glittering sun king, who you know, was the most powerful person in Europe and beyond for, for many years. And William of Orange, in this tiny little principality up north somewhere in the Low Countries, Very wealthy country and very outward looking as well. His nemesis, he wanted to punish him in any way he could. So he came to Britain, England, took the throne, introduced his national drink. Anybody who wanted to curry favour with him or be seen to be the good Protestant English man or woman, they would drink gin because brandy, the other spirit at the time, was what the Catholics drank. So there began this... Brandy's bad, gin is good. And it was all right at the beginning, gin was. And then it went down on this trajectory down and down because he wanted to curry favour with the landowners of Britain because he'd come in as this nobody. So he changed the law that anybody could distill gin as long as they used English grains. 
but it was that religious element that really really surprised me fascinating it is absolutely absolutely fascinating and i um yeah i can't wait to get my mitts on it which i suppose is probably a timely thing to go actually where if i want to explore the oeuvre of jane payton what's the best place to do it well i've written books since the first book i published was i think it was 2002 some of them are out of print now so i've had several publishers and the ones that are out of print are my picture books they were all books with photos in color photos which are really expensive to print produce and to keep in in print so they're probably out of out of print now but i started off writing about architecture and design so the four first four books i did were architecture and design based one of them was about pubs so that was sort of drinky and then i wrote about british traditions that's still in in print i think brilliant britain just try your local independent bookshop i would recommend and they'll probably be able to get them. So, or you could go on my website, janepayton.com or School of Booze. I think there's probably someone there. If you wanted to buy my drinks books, you could um, go on to School of Booze and I'll um, sell somebody one, schoolofbooze.com. But yeah, local, local um, independent bookshop. My local around the corner, Kemptown Bookshop. They're so brilliant. They've done this several times now. I've thought, oh, I need that book. Emailed them. Oh, can I place an order, please? Four o'clock one day. The next morning, 11 o'clock in the morning, the book is here. Now, it really helps that most books are warehoused in Littlehampton. All my books have been warehoused in Littlehampton. So they're delivering from Littlehampton. So... And we're in Brighton, so it's just along the road, isn't it? That's probably you see, just a, I want you on my pub quiz team. Should I ever get to a pub quiz ever again? I just think you're... The munchie in a pub quiz! I used to run a pub quiz, actually. I did. And I stopped doing it because the following week, men would come back to me and go, you know, you said that the largest harbour was Sydney. Well, it's pool or something like that. And I'd look at them and I'd go, don't you have anything better to do with your life? they go, no. <laughs> so that wasn't just the one reason I stopped. I, I stopped for other reasons. But that was a big part of it, that people got really aggressive and really serious about it. What should be just a jollification, they got really life or death. So you'd not be tempted to do kind of the virtual online pub quiz type thing? I haven't, actually. I am doing some online stuff. I'm doing um, a couple of things for I'm doing one for camera. So I'm doing a beer tasting about Belgian beers wild fermentation beer so the sours love them doing a cider tasting and a wine tasting for a country show country fair show that's on on saturday i mean i don't want to do any of those online things because other people are doing them really well and uh, i'm just happy not doing them what's your current favorite drink of choice at home I've got three things at the moment at home. I don't drink spirits at home. For me, spirits are always drinks that you drink in company with friends. I mean, most alcohol I prefer to drink with friends and in company. But the drinks I have at home, I've got beer, cider, perry and mead. So I'm on the, the brood. I'm, I'm, I'm on the brood drinks. And mead I find fascinating because it's a really un- misunderstood drink. People think, oh, it's sweet. It, really honey-ish well there is a sweet version of mead it's called piment and it's fortified with grape juice 
and it is really sweet and it's brought up in the alcohol if you ferment honey and water you can ferment it to dryness and so i'm drinking gosnell's mead which is wonderful it's a peckham south london meadery owned by a lovely bloke called tom gosnell and his meads are just spectacular really amazing i mean i've I've got some i'm I'm going to be drinking some later today's drink i'm going to be drinking is is mead He's got a hopped mead, he's got sour mead, he's got one with sea salt and herbs in it, he's got one with hibiscus, so it's pink, he's got actually a low alcohol one, he's got champagne meads as well, so I'm just a bit big on mead at the moment, plus it means that the the bees are hopefully healthy, happy, because they're making honey and mead, and he's trying to encourage people to plant wildflowers and not to mow the lawns and to just give the, the bees opportunities to forage. And then he can make it into mead from all that lovely honey. Oh, I see. And I ought to, uh, ought to take, the, take the challenge and try and deal with my own mead-based issues. So I grew up in the countryside and uh, had some, some teenage mead incidents that have sadly put it in the I don't think I can ever touch it again category. However, I trust very much what you say in terms of drink and if I were to put a tentative toe back into the Meadley waters would it be your man in Peckham do you think? He would be a great one to start with because he's doing proper mead. I suspect that what you had with that horrible teenage hangover was the pie mint. It was the fortified stuff which is very sweet very reminiscent of honey and strong. I mean it's like it's wine. It's 12-13% so you're getting tanked up on, on something strong Plus, there's that smell memory of the honey and that unctuous and that aromatic thing, which is going to bring back those horrible memories. Do you want another reason why? Oh, yes, definitely. This is science. This is, this is absolutely amazing. The sense of smell is the only sense that is connected to the part of the brain that is responsible for memories and experiences. It's the amygdala and the hippocampus. So, for instance, we might smell a perfume that reminds us of our beloved granny and go, oh, you know, those lovely memories of, of gran. We may smell something that reminds us of, of a horrible time. Your hangover, for instance, that teenage hangover. For me, it's tequila, you know, takes me back to a really ropey hangover. So there's certain things that immediately take us back and we associate them with bad things. And... That's the reason. So if you can get past that smell of honey, and you don't get much honey actually with the meat, with the Gosnell's meads because he ferments down to dryness. So you you get a little, but just get, get over it if you can. It's funny, isn't it? Because I've I've said this before about cider, and because I'm a, a pommelier and I'm part of the Rethink Cider campaign. In fact, it was a hashtag that me and a friend Susanna Forbes came up with. It's now being used around the world. Rethink cider. And it means anything you want it to. But the idea is that think about cider in a different way. So if you had that teenage hangover, then don't drink that sort of cider that gave you that. Drink the cider that is wine or drink the cider that is made with hops or champagne cider, for instance. And everybody's first hangover was cider. And you often hear people say, don't drink cider. I had a hangover once when I was a teenager. And yet they've had many hangovers throughout the life as adults on beer or whiskey or wine or whatever. And they never go, oh, I don't drink wine because I, I had a hangover. You know, it's always cider and cider is, is besmirched. 
by this association with park benches. <laughs> That's a very, very true observation, actually. And I've somehow found it much easier to forgive cider, even though you used to go to the walk X number of miles down the road to the local farm and buy this incredible, absolutely lethal, you know, unfiltered scrumpy and it just in a, a five litre plastic bottle or as a young person and it was the 80s and that was you know okay but uh for some reason I you know I love I love cider still although I wouldn't go down the sweet roots but it's a thing that I love even though it punished me very badly I'll try again with the mead do but dry make sure it's dry and not sweet so Gosnell's is, is your, your your guy and he's lovely as well really lovely bloke and he's independent and we like our independent businesses and we want to support them, don't we? We absolutely, absolutely do. And I think one of the things I really hope comes out of uh, this pretty crummy time that we're all sharing uh, is that there seems to be such a resurgence in people supporting their independence, whether it's the grocers down the road or, you know, buying free range meat from a butcher or in our case, you know, ordering gin and stuff directly from us i really really hope that people keep doing that in the in the future because um i think the service that's been provided by our amazing independence has been incredible and people just really just going to the ends of the earth to make sure that people are looked after get their food and drink and also a bit of human contact and, and i'd really hate to see that disappear again i am on my soapbox no i like it stand up there because I think you're putting into words what many people feel and hopefully, like you say, we'll continue it. I'm sure most of us will remember the good people in this lockdown and reward them and just think about what's important and fundamental in our lives. The small businesses who make our communities, who live in our communities and pay tax and know the neighbours and employ local people as well. And I think the people who have a choice to, to shop that way we'll continue to do so i really hope so i hope they don't just think oh, i'll just go to a card i'll book on i'll buy things online you know and really support but these small businesses have got an opportunity after it's all over just to keep reminding people hi thank you so much for helping us through that period you know hope you won't you know you'll still continue we've got this coming up we've got that so i, I suppose just keeping that contact is important isn't it afterwards sorry it's like i'm trying to tell you how to market your business but um that's going to be my, my next episode. I should be interrogating you, thinly disguised under podcast content about how to market my business. Jane Payton, it is a joy, a privilege and an honour to, to have a natter to you. And I hope we'll be able to do more in a, in a couple of weeks' time because I suspect we will still not be able to do it around the pub table. Thank you, Cathy. I've really enjoyed it. That's the award-winning booze writer and drinks educator Jane Payton uh, talking to me, Cathy Caton, here on The Sipping Forecast. You can get in contact with Jane via her website. It's jane-payton.com. You can follow her on Twitter, which I strongly, strongly recommend. She'll signpost all sorts of brilliant things and there are bound to be some excellent drinks recommendations and the occasional terrible pun in there as well. You can also find out about everything School of Booze shaped by going to that website as well. It's just schoolofbooze.com. Thank you.